Hello, everyone. This is your girl, Donna D, a.k.a. The Urban Mommy, and I am back with another podcast. Today, I am joined by Miss Kimberly Clark, and she is going to grace us with her presence. She has a, a wonderful story, an awesome story. Um, a lot is going to be, you know, transpiring today on this this call. So I thank you all for joining, and I hope you all listen. So thank you, Kimberly, for coming today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great. Okay, so just to start off, can you tell us who you are? Like, who's Kimberly? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm Kimberly Clark. I'm from Castor, Louisiana, which is North Louisiana. It's about, I usually have to tell people it's about an hour out of Shreveport because they know Shreveport and they know New Orleans, but they don't know little country towns like Castor. So, and I am very country. But I'm a, a Navy veteran. Um, I spent time on the USS Frank Cable in Guam. I'm a single mother of two, a boy and a girl. So that means I'm completely done. Um, let's see. <laughs> I am an advocate for women, um, especially women who have experienced uh, military sexual trauma, um, for people who've experienced addiction, uh, drug addiction, as well as alcoholism. Um, I'm also a professional speaker and a best-selling author. Well, congratulations and thank you for your service as well. Thank you. All right. So to get started, let's talk about you are a trauma expert. I'm not sure if you said that, but I did read that you are a trauma expert. Can you talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. What made you go into that? Yeah, of course. Well, um, I grew up uh, with some childhood trauma being touched inappropriately by some family members from age, say nine, maybe nine to like 11 or 12 or something like that. And so with that childhood trauma, you know, there was a low self-esteem, there was those insecurities, that fear, those limited beliefs. But I was able to suppress that um, for a long time until I was an adult. And so as an adult going into the military, I also experienced military sexual trauma and so I believe that MST really changed the, the whole trajectory of my life. And so after that, um, I ended up getting a medical discharge from the Navy, um, coming back home to the States. And within a few weeks of me coming home, I was introduced to crack cocaine. And, uh, and I was somebody who never even, I, I didn't even know what crack cocaine looked like until the day that I was introduced to it. I didn't know anything about drugs. I was completely sheltered away from stuff like that. And so um, I'm a trauma expert because I've been through those traumas. Um, I've been through, you know, sexual trauma, childhood sexual trauma, military sexual trauma, narcissistic abuse, right? Domestic violence. Um, all of those things that we women internalize and we kind of take it out on ourselves and then it shows up in our behaviors and in our thoughts and how we treat other people and especially how we treat ourselves. And I treated myself so horribly for so long. And um, I want to not have other women take as long as I did to learn to love themselves or to even know that there is an issue. Cause a lot of us don't even know there is an issue. We just think it it's our personality. You know, we, we, we get angry sometimes. That's just who I am. Or I think the worst case scenario, that's just who I am. 
And a lot of this stuff is trauma response. It, it's right. responding to traumas that's done happen to you. So, so yeah, that's I, I call myself a trauma expert because I, I've been there, and I really want to to help other people um, not have to 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 find themselves and to find their purpose because that was my way out. So you said when you were younger, you would suppress a lot of things. So mm-hmm. in what ways you just kind of pretended like nothing ever happened or how did you do that? Yeah, I pretended like nothing ever happened um, because I was, I was bullied a lot too. And, you know, uh, you know, called ugly and called too dark skinned or, or too fat or, I mean, it was always too something. Right. And so, and I never spoke up for myself. I never had a voice. I always just let people talk. I would even try to laugh with them, um, you know, to try to, to get them to, to, to either leave me alone or, or to make them think that, you know, it, it was a joke to me too. And so I, I would do that and I never, ever, you know, use my voice never ever use my voice about it and so i had to um i had to really grow into standing up for myself and to to not being okay with accepting someone else's view about who i was right and yeah, that, that's, that's tough a lot of people don't realize how bad like when it comes to bullying and stuff like that a lot of you know like you said we laugh it off and you know but you're hurt and it it internalizes and then you grow up with those issues thinking that something is wrong with you i know i always jokingly say it but i mean it's true and i guess you can probably attest to this when we were younger we would always be teased about our color we were black we were burnt Mm -hmm. biscuits and lord after uh what that movie came out and everybody then we were african booty scratches we was all kind of of different names um but now Mm -hmm. It's a different respect and it's a different admiration that they have for, for dark skin. So now I, I will say that it's a whole, it's a different time, but that's why I don't think people could ever understand what we went through back in the, the 90s, the 80s. They don't they won't understand it because they don't they would never imagine the the environment that it was the climate that we had to deal with being dark skin. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was tough. So can you talk a little bit about, I know you mentioned the drug addiction. That's something that I've mm-hmm. been, not my personally, but I've been dealing with in my family, drug addiction. So mm-hmm. can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, like I grew up um, pretty sheltered. Like I, I wasn't introduced to drugs or anything. Like I knew my, my dad was an alcoholic, but that's pretty much all I knew about him. And so um, after going through the Navy. Uh, and, and I know you probably heard of, of drinking like a sailor. Well, we sailors do drink a lot. And, and that's when I was introduced, you know, to, to alcohol, of course, but it was just a, a thing that we did. It wasn't, I didn't see it as, you know, a problem back then. Um, but we would drink on the weekends. We would drink to on deployments, you know, we would just drink just to celebrate or because it was the weekend, it was just a normal thing. And so after the, the sexual trauma happened in the Navy, you know, I um, I tried to commit suicide and they ended up medevacing me back to the States, back to San Diego. And from San Diego, um, I got a medical discharge. I came home 
I've been like just depressed. I was depressed, but I was like kind of acting out at the same time. Like I just, I didn't know what to do with myself. Here I was 19 years old. Cause I joined at 17. I was 19 years old. My career, something that I wanted to do for 20 years was cut short. You know, not, I didn't want a medical discharge. I wanted to be in the Navy for 20 years. And I just didn't know what to do with myself, with my life, nothing. And so like two weeks, if if it was two weeks later, you know, hanging out with some family members, riding around drinking, listening to music. And, you know, we ended up at my cousin's boyfriend's house. And so they were in the kitchen doing something and I wanted to know what they were doing. And it was, we was in a house. It was a, it was an abandoned house and have no electricity on. Right. And so I had been drinking. So I really, I didn't really care too much. It was raining outside and I just wanted to know what they was doing. Cause they seemed happy and they were in there. Um, I asked if I could do it at first. They were like, no. And then my cousin's boyfriend was like, yeah, I'll show you how to do it. And that's when I was introduced to crack cocaine and from the moment that I tried it, I went back to it and I would try to go back to it on my own um, because it made me forget. It made me not feel for a while, even if it was for just like what five minute high, probably I, that five minutes. I wasn't feeling nothing. And so that 15 minutes of being introduced to a drug became 15 years of homelessness, of jail, of rehab, psych units, suicidality. Um, it, it just, it, it became chaos. 15 years of chaos. I mean, that's what drug addiction does to you. Like you can, you, you may think that you can manage it for a while, or that you can function and, you know, maybe keep a job or uh, maybe keep your home. But I was never that type of addict. I was never that type of, I might keep a home for a few months and then I'm going, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy the dope before I, I pay bills. And next thing you know, like I'm, I'm on my own um, for a while. Like I had, I always had somewhere to come back to. Like my family, we own 40 acres of land here in Castor. So I felt like I always had somewhere to come back to. But eventually that even ran dry because they start finding out about codependency. They start finding out about addiction. They start looking up stuff on their own to know how to handle me. And they start setting boundaries with me. So it, it was it was just between between me and God. Then it was between me and God. And I had to come to a decision. Do I want to keep living like this? Do I want my kids to stay with my mother forever? Do I want to die like this? Do I want to die as somebody who never even experienced who I really am? or never even known who I really am because of a drug. And I, eventually I just got, I got tired. I got tired and I decided to do something different. But you having drug addiction in your family, like I can't imagine the things that I put my family through. All the pain, the worry, them knowing they like there's nothing they can really do but but just love me and whenever I'm ready, help me out. But up until I was ready, they couldn't do anything. 
So I'm really sorry that you that you have someone in your family that you're dealing with it with. Yes, I have a couple, and um, I'm actually my I'm a my parent. I had this, you know, my situation with my parents was that. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember my mom said that her she had a dream, and then mm-hmm. she had one of those bad dreams that she was killed, and she mm-hmm. said that that kind of woke her up, and she decided she was going to change her life. And I want to say it's been at least 30 years since she's been, and she's been doing well, she's doing good, but it was a dream that got her. Do you remember the moment that you knew that it was time? Hmm. Well, I remember in 2020, I've been clean for maybe a a year, maybe a little over a year. And then that's when the pandemic hit and I wasn't able to go to meetings, AA meetings anymore. I wasn't able to do anything. And I promise you, everything was closed except the liquor stores. And I went and got some liquor. I thought, all right, I'm be, just be at home by myself. And I'm just going to drink it because I, I need to go to sleep. And the lies that I was telling myself. And I did that. And I was I was back out there. <clears throat> um, I remember at the end of 2020, I went home. I was, I was still in my addiction. I went home to spend Christmas with my kids because they were here with my mother and I came home and I could like every time I would get up go to the bathroom or get up walk outside you know to smoke a cigarette at that time my kids were like oh mama where you going where you going you coming back like I I literally gave them abandonment issues literally they every time I got up to go anywhere they thought I was leaving and they didn't know when I was coming back and that hit me a different way because it wasn't people telling me what I was doing. It was me actually seeing, you know, me actually, I know about mental health and me actually seeing what I'm doing to my kids was, it hit different. And I had been just, just crying out, crying out to God. I, you know what? I used to laugh at people who would sing gospel songs while they were hot. Or who would pray while they were high. I'm like, these people playing with God. They playing with God. Until I found myself doing it. Because I was hurting. I didn't like to get high. I felt like I had to. I I didn't know what to do to stop. And I found myself crying out to God. And he helped me. He changed my mind. He changed my heart. Um, My mother, before I, I went back to where I was. I was living in a hotel at this time. Um, lost my apartment, lost my truck, everything. I within like six months. And I, I went back. My mother told me, if you need to come back, you can. And that just, that gave me a plan now. Now I don't have to live in this hotel getting high and drunk every day. Now I can I can go home, but I'm going to have to go detox first. And so I went to a cousin's house first. She let me detox at her house. I detoxed there for like three days. Um... And then I came home to my mother's. I had to wait on the VA to get me into a rehabilitation. And that's what I did. And I stayed clean until I waited to get to that rehab. And in that rehab, I I did EMDR therapy, which helped me deal with every trauma, every last one of them, one by one. And that's what it takes. It takes you accepting accepting what happened in your life. As bad as it hurts, it's not going to kill you. You just got to feel it. You got to accept that it happened. Yeah, people hurt you. People were dirty. People are evil. That's true. 
but acceptance acceptance and realizing that you're, you're still here for a reason that's true i have a question so what type of advice would you have to the family because a lot of times we as family dealing with the situations we try our best you know we sometimes we are codependent and i know i was for several years but i had to stop and it hurt me to say no i'm not giving you anything it hurt me but i had to do it it took and i i finally like i don't want to say i was upset i had my my breaking point and i was like look i'm i can't do this anymore she i mean she was having baby after baby and she she had one and she left this baby in the hospital mm. so like they were calling us and i felt bad and i put a lot of pressure and stuff on myself because i tried to take the baby but i couldn't because the baby was born addicted to drugs Mm-hmm. She, I didn't know if I was going to be able to give her everything she needed. Plus, I had another child from mm-hmm. her. Plus, I have my own child. And, you know, it's, it was a lot. And I was at, I was by myself at the time. So, a lot of times I beat myself up because I felt like I could have fought harder. But I really couldn't, you know. And I wouldn't want to give, yes. not give that child everything that she deserves. I mean, I felt bad about it. And I still do feel bad about it. But what mm-hmm. advice do you have for family members that are dealing with, with, with people that's, you know, in the middle of their addiction well first i want to say that you know you putting yourself out there to try to help um that baby i believe that that god sees your effort but i I also think that that may not have been your assignment like we all have an assignment we all have something that you know we need to do and i think that that just may not have been your assignment as for for people um family members know that the more you give the addict the easier it is for them to kill themselves because that's what we're doing we're killing ourselves when we get high we're killing ourselves and let's say you i've been let's say i've been getting up i was high getting high all night all right i'm already in that in that zone and I come ask you for money and you give me 50 more dollars right now I'm going out getting something else to keep getting high but not knowing that the whole time I'm getting high like my heart is 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 giving out so that that next 50 dollars that you give me might take me on out you know what I'm saying like just just knowing that you you can't give in to their demons yeah um no matter how much you love them because you love them do not help them kill themselves that's the way you have to look at it you can love them keep the line of communication open and just let them know hey look whenever you're ready i'll help you every step of the way but i'm not going to help you get high i'm not going to help you mess over your life i'm not going to help you keep going further and further down the rabbit hole but when you're ready to leave give them an option like let them right. know that when they're ready they can have they'll have a plan because i'm gonna help right. you do whatever you need to do and get in wherever you need to be mm-hmm. but up until the end i can love you from a distance if you need a plate sometimes i'll give you a plate but you're not coming in my house like be be set boundaries with them right let them right. know like yeah i love you but you're in addiction right now and i don't trust you but i love you mm-hmm. and i would do anything to help you whenever you get ready for me to help you right know that it was nothing that you guys did 
or nothing that you know the family did that it was a choice for us to deal with our pain by using drugs it was my choice it was my choice it wasn't the way i was raised it wasn't you know it, it wasn't even the things that happened to me it was me making a conscious decision to deal with my pains by using drugs so don't take any of the blame any of the fault um know that you're doing what you're supposed to do by loving them and and letting them know whenever you're ready to get help i'll be that bridge i'll help you but until right. then you got to set your boundaries and don't feel bad about it right because it's the right thing to do right and i and i, I have one of her kids so i'm like i'm just mm -hmm. upset because i'm like she knows what happened to us growing up i mean not i don't see mm -hmm. nothing happen nothing happened to us but i mean the fact that we were dealing with parents that were addicted to drugs, she knew how that affected us. So it kind of bothers me that she's doing that to her children. She has five. Mm -hmm. So it, it bothers me that she's doing that. But, I, you know, I do. She, and I think she knows that I do love her. But I just mm -hmm. it's just it's just hard. It's hard to say no. And I, I thank you for that advice. But it is hard to say no. But I was just trying to see maybe how she sees it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. I think she's she may see it as like only when you get to a point to where you you have to actually tell them because they're like we're not gonna assume that like you love us but you're not gonna you're not gonna help us for my own good like you have to say that you know what I'm saying like say like I love you but I'm not gonna help you kill yourself I'm not gonna help you I'm not sure we can say that but I'm I'm not gonna help you you know keep going down this road but i help you get out of it i help you get out of it but i'm gonna have to say set some boundaries as hard as it is for me to set these boundaries i'm gonna have to do it because i love you right okay so mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about i know you say you talk about like purpose so how mm -hmm. how was that process and finding your purpose what were some of the things i know you said e m d emdr yeah. yeah yeah so how was that something that you used to help you with your purpose yeah um the, the emdr therapy really helped me um like get through my trauma that type of therapy it rewires your brain instead of reliving the traumas when you think about it it's more of an acceptance of okay this happened to me but I'm through it now and I don't have to, to run and hide every time I feel these feelings. And so whenever I dealt with those traumas and for me, it was getting, now I first got to say this, that AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, all those things do work. The 12 steps do work. Um, but this time for me, it wasn't the 12 steps. Like it was just me and God. And so going through that type of therapy and actually going to church and having a, a good spiritual counsel was what worked for me. And when I started serving other people, helping other people, that's when I found out, man, like this is this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I love doing. And that's how I knew what my purpose was. Your purpose is tied to your what you're passionate about. Whatever you're passionate about, like you can easily find what you were created to do. 
And that's that's how I found out what my purpose was and, and what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to serve other people. I know that I wanted to use my story to do it. Um, and it was like, you know, God saying that everything you went through wasn't in vain because I use it now, you know, to help other people. And as many times as I've been in jail, I never thought that I would be able to get a good job. I, I honestly thought I would be on VA disability just for forever and just not do anything. Um, and, you know, I'm 34 years old. And I, I thought like I can never have a career. I can never do anything because of mental health and because of the lifestyle I was living. And of course, because of my criminal record. But as a peer support specialist now, I literally get paid to use my story to help other people. Like, that's what it is. And I work for the Louisiana Department of Health. Like, who would have ever thought somebody with a criminal record like mine could, you know, and so that just tells you, like, no matter how bad you think you messed up with your life, no matter, you know, how much negativity and, and evilness in your head telling you about everything that you cannot do, you know, it's a lot. Anything that you work at, you can do. That is so true. I like that. That's 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 big. And congratulations for that because I me, mean, it seems like like you're doing so well. And I just I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm happy listening to this story because I can, you know, almost foresee the situation that I'm dealing with. You know, hopefully coming to this because you know we're in Louisiana too, so yeah. <laughs> uh, it'll be awesome. good. So tell me a little bit about. I know you say you went to jail, so. When you were gone, what were what were those experiences like? Um, I, you know what? I was never in jail more than thirty days. Okay. Uh, until one time, I was in. I was in there ninety days. But yeah, my ex husband he would come get me out. Uh, my sister actually come came and got me out once. Um, but yeah, I I never did any serious crimes. <laughs> right. I, you yeah. know, everything I did was, you know, directly related to, you know, drugs and alcohol. And so, um, or, or, you know, being angry, uh, and, and just acting out, you know, it was just all craziness. And, um, so yeah, I was never in more than, uh, at the most 90 days. There was one time, you know, my, I went to jail and I think my bond was like a hundred dollars. And I just knew my family was going to come get me. And I, I was giving them the $100 to come get me. All you had to do was show up. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother passed while I was mm -hmm. in there. And I knew, like, I know without a shadow of a doubt, they coming. And I called my mom. I'm like, why y'all ain't come up here yet? I didn't, you know, y'all have the, the access to my money. Why don't you just, you know, come get me? It's only $100. My mom was like, if you're in jail, I know where you at. So I'm not, we're not, we're not going to do it. I'm like, mama, like granny died. At least I know where you're at and I know you're alive. Mm. And, and that was going to be my next question. My next question was going to be, mm. did you ever wish that they would have let you sit for a little while? Because Oh, they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. did. Yeah. Oh, so how did you like, I guess find the courage to be able to tell your story because a lot of people 
don't like to become vulnerable. They don't like to tell their story. They're embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, but so how how do you find that confidence to tell your story and not be embarrassed? I think well, I know it's because well, one, I got tired of other people telling my story for me. Um, you know, people like to 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 spread rumors and to tell what they've seen, especially when it comes to an addict or a crackhead, as they would say. You know, they love to tell stories, but most of the time it, it get twisted about six or seven times before, you know, before the actual truth. And so I got tired of people telling my story for me. And I also, because I never had a voice, I never used my voice growing up, even as an adult. Like I never spoke up for myself. I never set any boundaries of people. I didn't know how to say no. And when I healed, when I, I'm going to say this, when I started process, when I started my healing process, I started finding out who I was. And this Kim can be vulnerable. Like this Kim uses honesty and open-mindedness to get farther. This Kim's honesty about my life is my greatest asset because people resonate with it. People get healed by it. People be set free by it. And so that's how I found the courage through my healing. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a secret. It wasn't a secret anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like it, a, a lot of times we think stuff is a secret, but it's not. And plus a lot of people go through some of the same things. They just don't say anything about it. They be happy when somebody speaks up about it. It may not be the exact same thing, but the exact same emotions are tied into it. Exact exact same feelings are tied into it. Exactly. So they're happy when somebody speaks up. And God has just given me the, the ability or, or the gift to be able to speak up and be vulnerable and be okay with it. And be okay with it. And I'm, when you said that about the other people well, probably wanting this story, I'm thinking about all of the people right now, because I know in New Orleans, it's pretty bad, Baton Rouge as well, the pills. Mm. And, and a lot of times they, they try to look down on other drug users. Um, but, you know, drug addiction is addiction. Right. I had a I had a friend. And he went, you know, went back and forth. And I used to always, I would, he would just be a friend I would just talk to. And he would always go in and out of jail, in and out of rehab. And we were mm-hmm. talking about drugs. And he was like, well, I don't snort, I shoot or whatever. But he was, I, for, I forgot which one is better than the other one. But whatever one was is supposed to be better is the one he said he did. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you're looking at it wrong. Like addiction is addiction. You got to stop. You got to stop. Yeah. yeah, drugs is, is is really big um in my life. You know, I I told you it's from from the beginning, and I have no problem being vulnerable. For so so many years, as a child, I was I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. But it didn't. It wasn't until I was an adult, as in like recently, that I realized that that was not my fault. I was always just embarrassed. Like, what, what did I have to be embarrassed about that? My you know my parents you know, had that problem. Fortunately, they were able to, you know, fix themselves, but I was hurt as a kid. And I just, I had all kinds of issues. I had all kinds of trauma and I, I, like you said, I suppressed it, but inside it was eating me up. 
mm-hmm. it was eating me up. So yeah. I decided that I had to be vulnerable because I had to talk about it because if you don't talk about it, then you can't ever get help for it. Right. So again, right. thank you for for your story. Um, Absolutely. Uh, a little bit. I had another question. Oh, you said you had a narcissistic abuse. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was, um, I, I got married <clears throat> basically in those like 15 years of in and out of addiction. There was a marriage in there. <laughs> and so I married someone 30 years, my senior, I had daddy issues. A lot of them. Like I, I told you before, my, my dad, only thing I really knew about him was he, he was an alcoholic. I didn't know my dad at all. And so yeah, I married someone 30 years my senior. Um, I think I married, I, I was, what, 22? And he was like 52, 55, so, something like that. And I went out to the, I was never like a club person, but I went out to the club this one night with a friend of mine. She was like, why don't you just get out, go out, go meet somebody? I'm like, okay, cool. I think I might have had like four or five months clean at that point. So I went out to the club and I meet him. And, you know, we started talking and he turned, he was everything that I ever wanted in a partner, right? Everything, um, literally down to a T. But I think that was because at back then, when I first met people or relationships, I would tell them my whole life story, right? I would tell them every hurt, every pain, like, please don't do this to me, Right. And so he literally turned into that person that I wanted him to be. And we got married maybe less than a year later. Um, and I, I, I relapsed like right after that because we were toxic. We were toxic. Like he knew my buttons and he would push them every time. He was manipulative. He was, you know, he, he was a liar. He was a cheater. Um he would make me feel like I was crazy. Now, for somebody who grew up believing I was crazy already, like he would confirm it for me. Uh, you know, he would say things and 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 say he, you know, wouldn't say you know the gaslighting things like that. And so, um, so yeah, I, I went through. We, we was married for seven years. Four of those years, we were separated. Um, we was only really married for those three years. And I feel like he watched me uh, or helped me lose everything and then left me out there. Like literally, got, I guess that saying, throw me to the wolves. I feel like that's what happened. And so um, I didn't know it was narcissistic abuse until like later. I knew something that happened to me. I knew that something wasn't right about what I went through in that in that marriage and that relationship. But I didn't know how to put it in words. I didn't know what gaslighting was. I, I mean, I knew about being manipulative, of course, but I didn't know a narcissistic manipulative. And I looked at, I looked up, um, you know, nar- uh, narcissists. And I would join these Facebook groups and I was doing all these things trying to find out what happened to me. Because I know I'm not crazy and I know this man was uh, emotionally, psychologically abusing me. But I didn't know what words to put to that. And as soon as I looked up narcissism, I'm like, oh my God, this is what I was married to. This is exactly all these women 
who've been married for 20 plus years and 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 going through all these narcissistic relationships going through all this abuse and all this i saw my story in theirs it, we literally had the exact same stories and it was like man like how can people you know i can't even i can't fake a friendship because i don't like you i don't like you but people actually be out here faking relationships for for money or for a place to stay people fake relationships for a pack of cigarettes and a, and a 40 ounce people do that that's crazy but they do it and i just don't see how people you know what i'm saying I, I i i'll never understand it and i don't want to understand it because i don't want to ever be in that way of thinking right and so yeah I, I dealt with narcissistic abuse um finding out things about him and who he was you know about his sexuality it, it completely devastated me and i would say it it helped keep me out there for years later after that that's a lot and it's just yeah more on top it's just it's a lot to, to yeah. deal with um and then i guess if you never truly learn how to deal with your trauma it just mm. continues to build up. You know, do you know anything about trauma bonds? Absolutely. Yeah. Trauma man. You know, I think um people the people that sexually abused me, like I was I was bonded to them. I felt like um if I first like if I said something about it, like I would be in trouble or they wouldn't like me if I said anything about it. They wouldn't love who I, and I wanted them to like me, right? The people that hurt me, the people that, you know, took advantage of me. I wanted them to like me. I was trauma bonded. It, it's like you're bonded to toxicity. Like, you know, it's toxic, but there's still something about you that's attached to it. There's something about you that want to be close to it. No matter, it, it's, it's, it's literally taking you out. But you have to be close to it. You have to. You want more of it, but you don't. You know you don't. You know that's not who you are. But it's a spiritual connection that has y'all together or that has you in that situation together and you don't know how to get out of it. That, that's definitely a trauma bond. Yeah, I, I know about trauma bonds. Yeah, I, I always heard the term and I actually didn't know about it, but somebody was trying to explain it to me yesterday. And, that was, you know, similar to what, what you just said. So... Just like you said, sometimes we know what we're dealing with, but we don't know how to verbalize it. We don't know the actual terms. Just like mm -hmm. with narcissists, we we heard of manipulation and stuff like that. But we heard the word narcissist. I always thought narcissist was just somebody that thought they were all that and had a huge mm -hmm. ego. But I didn't realize that there were different layers to it. And I just I just didn't know. But I'm learning a lot about that. So it's interesting to to learn all these terms so the trauma bonds because we we never really quite understand what's going on in our lives but i'm glad right. that there's a, a term for it, which means if there is a term i mean you can look it up and you can find a way um to help yourself did you do traditional therapy i did i did um you know along with the emdr we, we i did traditional therapy as well um that therapy um having spiritual counsel as well and i do brazilian jiu-jitsu i do martial arts and so the emotional the spiritual and the physical you have to work on all those things in combination in order for you to heal and a lot of people don't see that like physically moving 
you know, helps you out spiritually, but it does. You don't have to go out and do martial arts like me or, or go out and run a marathon. Get up, walk 30 minutes a day. You know, just moving around. Moving, movement changes your mood. It changes how you feel. Like a lot of times we don't feel like getting up and moving, but it's because, you know, like, no, I'm not going to say that, but um, I was about to get real, real spiritually deep on you, but I'm not going to do that. So yeah, movement changes our mood. And so when we get up and start moving around, like we'll start to feel better. And we don't like to, you know, we don't like to get up unless we already feel better, mm-hmm. but it's actually reverse. You could, you could preach. It's all good. It's okay. every, every, <laughs> everything happens for a reason. If it is, let, the, let the spirit leave you. Let them use you. <laughs> let them use you, Kim. But yeah, so um, there was a another question I had and it just, it just went away from me. Um, <laughs> do you know, can we talk about a little bit about the victim mentality? Did you have, you, did you have mm-hmm. that and did you realize that you had to get out of that victim mentality? Yeah, I had it. I thought, you know, that that went along with me in relationships. Like the within the first week of you meeting somebody, they shouldn't know your whole life story and all the traumas you went through. But that was me subconsciously wanting attention and wanted to be treated differently because of that. And I think that goes along with it because when we when we tell our traumas um, in a way that's not empowering or in a way that's not bringing hope, right? We want something from it. And oftentimes it's not something positive. And so not having the mindset of this is what happened to me. So I'm going to act out for the rest of my life. And it's justified because I went through so much, you know, I can cuss people out. Because I'm angry, because I was abused. And it's okay. It's justified because of what I went through. No, we don't have a right to treat people crazy because we were treated bad, because we were hurt. We don't have a right to do that. And that is, that's all inclusive with the victim mentality, thinking that you can treat anybody else any kind of way because of your hurt and your pain. And that's a part of victim mentality, too. That is, do you find that you were a people pleaser at one point? Very much so. Uh, I told you before, like, I didn't know how to say no to people. Um, I didn't really know what that was. I felt like I had to please people in order to be liked, in order for them not to talk about me. That they talked about me, I felt bad. But even in feeling bad, I wasn't going to say anything back. I was just going to hold on to it and maybe cry later. But I was definitely a people pleaser. Um, I wanted to please the people around me because I felt like they had more power than me or um, they, you know, were smarter than me or they was prettier than me or, you know, I I definitely wanted to be like everybody but myself. And I'm so glad that God took that, that those insecurities away from me that fear away from me because all those things are spiritual. All those, all those negative thoughts of negative emotions, all that is spiritual and it's meant to tear you down as a person. It's meant to keep you away from your purpose. Uh, It's meant to keep you away from your gift because if you're, if you're uh, operating in your gift, then 
you're you're pleasing God, then you're doing what you're supposed to do, right? And so the, the enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants you stuck. The enemy wants you bound. You know, he his his play place is the mind. And if we don't take control of it, he'll be controlling it. And and we won't even know he's doing it until it's too late. That's true. That whole last part, it, it sounds like mm-hmm. myself. And again, like I told you, I'm learning a lot about myself as well. And another mm-hmm. term I learned was imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Imposter syndrome. We um we like to talk ourselves out of our greatness. I'm not good enough for this. I can't do this. There, somebody's going to be so much better than me. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm actually about to get on stage here. Like, what was I thinking? Oh, listen, if God gave you some, if, if God gave you, because God gave you a purpose, he's going to also provide provisions for it. Right. He's going he's gonna to teach you how to use it if you allow him to do it. But allowing your mind to tell you that to be an imposter, to let to try to tell you that you can't do something, to that your overall failure is a lie from the pits, is a lie. Because many of us didn't make it. Many of us didn't make it out the hood. Many of us didn't make it out of addiction. Many of us, many of us didn't didn't make it. You know, going from one place to another one, another place in our vehicle. But because we did, right? We still have work to do. That's big. So as we get to the end of the show, I ask everyone if they could go back and talk to their 17-year-old self, what would they tell them? To learn to love yourself. Um, To know that you were created literally for greatness and that God had God had so many plans for you. To not let people walk over you, that they won't like you because of it, um, that they won't like you even more because of it. To learn more about your mindset and to allow God to do what he needs to do in your life. I like that. All right. So mm-hmm. you are an author. Can you tell us about your book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have uh, I have two books. My, my first one is a memoir. It's called Stuck Between Pleasure and Pleasing God. Uh, it's, it's about, you know, my life. It's about from childhood to the military to addiction um, and to, you know, to now to how I made it out. And it, it, it goes into great detail. I don't hold anything back. Um, even, you know, the addict stories, the, the, um, I don't go like tend to gruesome stuff about sexual trauma nothing like that, but I do go into great detail. I'm completely honest, completely vulnerable in it. Um, my second book, make up your mindset. Um, I wrote that one for teenagers, um, because I know it's funny that you ask, what would I tell my 17 year old self? Cause I wrote that book for teenagers and for young people. So that they know that their feelings are are not facts. They know that they don't have to compare. They they can stay in the moment, right? For them to normalize healing, just for them to be able to know what's going on on the inside of them, and to know that there's greatness in them. Um, and and pretty much all the things that I wish I knew at seventeen is in that book. And it's only fifty five pages. Like I get straight to the point. 
straight to the point. Like, I don't tell you a whole bunch of stories or anything like that. It's straight to the point. And so, yeah, yeah. Make up your mindset and stuck between pleasure and pleasing God. Is there a website or can you get it on Amazon or anything like that? Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. I do have a website. Um, it's www.kimberlyclarkspeaks.com. Um, yeah, everything's on there. I, I, I do a professional speaking as well. I'm speaking to young people from 13 to maybe 25. I'm telling them not only about my story, but like how to how to heal and how to take back control of your mindset. Right. How close are you to Monroe? About an hour. Okay. I have a sister. She has a group called Queens of Tomorrow and she mentors mm -hmm. girls. She has a bunch of girls in her group and I want to connect y'all too. Cause I think you would be a great speaker for some of her girls. I mean, it's, she has an excellent program out there. She's doing really, really well for herself. So I want to connect okay. y'all too. Absolutely, um, yeah. Again, I want to say thank you so much, Kimberly Clark, Kim, for being <laughs> on this, um, been on the show. It, like I say, I tell everybody, and I, I mean it's really from the bottom of my heart. I always do this because I want to help the guests. But each time, I have helped myself as well. You guys are really, you know, I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. And your story was, you know. I didn't want to say too much because I was like, I don't want to cry, but just thinking about it, it was big. And I'm just, I'm so happy to see you because like I said, I could just, I could see her in you and I just pray and I just, and I just look forward to the day that I could be talking to her, telling her story about, yeah. you know, being out there. So again, thank you. And thank you to the guests for staying for this time. And I really hope that you were able, you all were um, blessed by this story because it was big. And like always in every time. If the law says the same, I'll see y'all next week. Bye. <laughs>